Hello and welcome to season two, episode six of AngelCast with me, Adam Cunis. I'm back, Matt Hinton. And me, Darren Watson. How exciting. And him, Darren Watson. How exciting indeed. And I'm very excited to have you both on today. Um, we are going to be talking about um, a new battle tome. Um, and no, it's not one that's been teased this week, which we don't know about yet. We're recording on the bank holiday Monday too early for the uh, Warhammer TV previews. God knows what they're talking about. We are going to be talking about the Nomad Feastmasters. Yes. Um, and I could edit in a drum roll there, but realistically, I need some sleep. So I'm not going You're to. Not going to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is the brainchild of Darren Watson um, and lots of community help, including recently from myself and Matt. Um, and it's sort of a fan tome. So I thought it'd be cool if we did a whole episode on where that's at so far um, without too many spoilers about the actual mechanics. So your whole kind of gamut of content matched narrative and open is going to be discussing the mortal realms uh, latest kind of hungry diminutive um, fighting guys and gals um so we're going to start off by talking about um a couple of games that matt and i have had using this phantom on tts um and we'll talk to you about that after the break Welcome back to the match play section. So, uh, as I just said, Matt and I got to play some TTS. Matt, um, had you played any TTS before? Uh, apart from board games that are way easier to play on TTS, no, I hadn't actually tried the nonsense that was Warhammer. Um, <laughs> basically, the, yeah, the bits where like your figures go upside down for some reason. Oh, and the best one was where I like accidentally clicked on the table and flipped the it. whole table. <laughs> and like literally every model went everywhere into the into the unknown. Uh... <laughs> what I was quite impressed by about that was that previously when I've seen that, like the table flips and, and that's what happens. But because we're using one of the really basic kind of Age of Sigma ones, where it's actually just three tables, four tables like closed next to each other. Matt's table kind of finished at like 45 degrees to the ground with models, some of them floating in the air because the gravity <laughs> settings were different on different things. And it, it wasn't like a everything flipped away and cascaded to the floor in typical TTS fashion. Matt managed to create some kind of horrible kind of Dali-esque nightmare. Uh, and then was like, can you undo? <laughs> like, I've got no idea. Uh, so we... I, I've watched I've watched a couple of episodes of Honest Wargamer, and I yeah. don't know how these guys are doing it. Like they just look like absolute pros while they're at it. They must have got hours and hours, like but stupid amounts of hours of playing yeah. pretend figures. It's a um, it's a good. desire of mine to flip a table at a real event. So it's nice that you can do it. On <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not making any friends. It is, a, it is quite an expensive hobby in terms of physical things that can get smashed, right? Yeah. We've all been there, stuff falling off. Um, <laughs> so Matt and I had been chatting, um, obviously, in the build-up to uh, Matt being on the last episode and talking about um, what's going on with his gaming scene over in Taipei. If you've not listened to episode five yet, um, I guess listen to it after this. Don't start partway through. That would be weird, but it's available. Um so we decided we want to play on TTS and I'd been talking to Darren about doing potentially painting some models and talking about some of the rules, although rules are, as everyone will probably know, over my head, unless you can take three monsters and some cavalry. Um, 
So um, Matt and I decided that, you know, we'd, we'd give the Nomad Feast, Feast Masters a, uh, a run out. And we did twice. Um, and um, I thought I'd give them a hard road test in running my Ogamore tribes. You're bad. Um, so um that worried yeah. me so much i was like adam's just gonna smash matt twice matt's gonna hate it <laughs> <laughs> i'm used to adam's kind of lists <laughs> well by yeah, one in the double turn in turn two yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been dragons it's stone been horns you know <laughs> yeah yeah mornfang are obviously very different to dragon blades I know they're six like, points yeah, each. Okay. You know they're exactly the same thing. <laughs> but I had nothing to worry about, did I? So no. Um, so we um, we thought we'd play without scenery rules because that's extra, and we thought we'd um, we thought we'd start off with relatively simple battle plans until we realised that um, you know having flipped the table, one of the battle plans just wasn't going to work at all for the list that Matt had brought. Um, yeah, I mean, we just pick sensible things, right? If you're just suddenly like, oh, yeah. this one needs heroes on objectives in the middle, it's not really a thing that halflings are going to do very well, whereas it's it's a thing that three thunder tusks or stone horns yeah. dudes on are going to win. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was sort of a it was sort of a battle of the bold, really. Um, the nomad feastmasters, mm -hmm. as the word feast might suggest, are similarly hungry to the um, the Ogamore tribes. Um, so we had um, we had a big a big fight over who was going to cook dinner, basically. Mm. Yeah. Um, so for reference, I in, in the first game I took something like uh, what I was imagining to be a kind of traveling caravan list. Yeah, well, that's what is, they're based on. They're yeah, one of excited that you did something that was quite narrative as well for them. Yeah, I felt like it was a kind of very open play kind of list. You could see it at a narrative event, but it would probably do all right. Like, I, I think it would do all right in any kind of matched event. You, you'd get two wins, maybe you'd get a win and have a really nice time and drink a lot of beer. But it was kind of focused on uh, one of the War Scrolls, which is at literally like a traveling caravan that which you is... can actually garrison models in and have it move around similar to maybe the Chaos Dwarf things, like the train of artillery that they have. But this one, like, the guys can actually go inside. Well, the KO ships, they just don't fly, do they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, very similar to KO ships kind of things. So a similar kind of mechanic to those guys. Um, and then I took three of the hot pot kind of catapult things because they needed to cook dinner for the other caravans. <laughs> and I don't think and also that's... Oh, a load of the thieves. Yeah, so you got some really nice um, halfling archetypes in there already without spoiling too much of what's going on actually mechanically within the book. Like, they're nomads, and I like the spelling of it. It's very, very AOS, <laughs> I have to say. Big yeah, enjoyment. Um, well, it's gnome, isn't it? Which yeah, is, exactly. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a good... What is that? It's, is that a... Uh, I'm not really sure how what you call that coinage, whether it's a portmanteau a or uh, an elision. Um, anyway, it means you can trademark it, right? You can't trademark it if it doesn't have a G on it. Exactly. You, you need some kind of... <laughs> Uh, Nomad flash, tone. unspoken letter or character within it. Um, so you got the caravans in there. You've got the hot pots. Now that is old school Warhammer halfling lore, um, which is really yeah. important. Um, Tom Loyne was telling me something very important about halflings the other day. Tolkien's hobbits have pointy ears, and the Warhammer 
halflings have around ears. So there you go. Yeah. That's a bit of uh, information. As did D and D. So original original D and D third edition because they weren't in advanced D and D have round ears as well. Whereas because uh, they have yeah. gnomes and halflings as separate races, whereas Tolkien did not split them. Yeah. So gnomes have pointy ears, halflings don't. Okay. Makes sense. Guys, that's you're going to see that's... how professional I am just now. My tortoise is going up and down and is. In his vivarium, so let me just stop him because he's just yeah, going to yeah. make loads of noise. <laughs> got 10 minutes until he gets away. This <laughs> <laughs> is my favourite thing about recording live, um, particularly when somebody has a menagerie. Um, which, there he is. <laughs> oh my goodness. And now I wish this was a YouTube channel. Um, right, sorry, carry on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's very difficult to carry on now. <laughs> there is a literal tortoise on the screen for those of you who only have this as an audio description of what's going on. Um, yeah, so uh, they're nomadic. There are caravans. We have hot pots. Um, and thieves is a, a traditional um, halfling trope, particularly from role-playing games. I know the first hmm. version of D&D that I had, which was a board game as a kid, the, uh, the thief was a halfling within that. Mm. Um, so yeah, as Darren said, that was a pretty narrative, um, well, narrative as we're going to be talking about later on, um, approach to list building. Garrisoning is something that I find fascinating within the game because it's so, there's such limited uh, access to it. Yeah, and it's like one of it's it's an, admittedly they do have a large picture on the same page as it, but it's also one page of about the sixteen pages of core rules. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's never used, really. No. Well, at no events do you really have enough of a map that, mm. you know, like a predefined map that it can actually be used in a relatively yeah. balanced way. I guess if you had two similar sized buildings that were definitely going to be in deployment areas, that's one thing. But actually, with the random scenario selection um, or mm. predetermined scenario selection, you would have to change the maps on boards because of course your deployment areas don't stay constant um i'm sure you could overlay them all and find like one point that was vaguely uh vaguely <laughs> the same across all of them but actually garrison buildings just i, I don't think i've ever garrisoned a building in age of sigma i think the battlefield itself is hugely underused which is what mm -hmm. i tried to explore in the tome as well like one of the one of the premises of it, of the, the tome, is that the battlefield feels like they're their greatest ally because they're very, they're very sort of natural if you look at the law yeah. as well. Um, but I think that's something that's criminally underused in Age of Sigmar in general is the, is the battlefield and, like you say, the, the garrisoning. Because you would do, wouldn't you? <laughs> There'd be huge impacts if there were buildings, etc. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's something I noticed the other day because having, having played against GMAT on TCS, I've, I've played Andy in person um, in the flat um, as we live in the same flat. Um, and terrain even i was like oh we've got terrain so we rolled up the terrain and then pretty much he stuck his wizard on arcane yeah. and i was like i don't have a wizard so it doesn't make any fucking difference if you get the spell off it's going off i can't stop it <laughs> yeah um it's it, it is currently i think disappointingly non-interactive so in, encouraging that style of play is is really interesting um 
And so yeah, I found it. The tone, the tone definitely does. Like it's really good. A lot of it is interaction with spells. So in my first game, I only had your named character wizard, who is a single yeah. caster. Or is she? Is she a single oh. caster? I can't remember. She's D three. D three. That's right. Yeah, that's Wind right. But I kept rolling ones. <laughs> yeah, I kept They're rolling ones. Always um, the single cast of you then. <laughs> yes, um, luck wasn't with me that one. Um, um, so yeah, so she didn't have like a crazy amount of, of stuff to be able to do. But when I played the second list, which we'll talk about in a sec, I had three wizards, all single casters, but like just suddenly had a huge against Adams none. I yeah, it made a huge it. amount of stuff I could do on the table and mess about with. It had a big impact as well. Combos, isn't there? I think. Uh, well, I hope because I, I really, really love combos. So that's yeah. bled into my, bled yeah. into my. I'd, I'd say like a lot of the combos are one ability with a spell. Yeah. Which is really, really nice. Um, and then there's some there's some war scrolls that work especially well together. But yeah, mm. it's definitely a, a lot of it comes from the spell war. Oh, it's so nice to hear people say that because I wanted it to be all about synergy because I love synergies. And how do we explain like a halfling, you know, standing up to a demon invasion? They've got to come together. So there has to be synergy. And that's, it's nice to hear that you saw that. <laughs> yeah, Matt, Matt's your go-to guy in terms of finding synergies in tomes. So I, was, I, was, I read through the, uh, the document and I was like, yeah, I can imagine the models that I would build, and that sound that seems cool in my head. And Matt was like, "I'm going to run this," and I was like, "I mean, I've read all of those words, but you've your brain." Has I mean, my, them my into other all. thing is, is I I really like battalions. Yeah, it's, so I'll, it will be a shame when AOS three gets rid of them or moves them into open, whichever one, um, because yeah. actually, in both of the games that we played, I brought a different battalion. That Darren's written, and I think a lot of those rules are transitioning into into other things as part of the War Scrolls, like either on the War Scrolls or similar. That's what we prepared for, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what one way to get around that. I mentioned to you the other day, wasn't it, that I'm going to write a couple more named characters and put some of the rules that were in the battalions onto those, so we don't lose them. Because some of the some of those rules are all right. So. Yeah. Yeah. So the the one that we. Um, that was very, very important in the first game was uh, models inside the caravans counting as scoring. Mm. Yep. So that's that will go, but was vital to keep me anywhere near in that game. And it was super cool. Like you suddenly have like this one this one little caravan model that trundles forward and clips the edge of an objective, and you've got sixteen things scoring that objective. And it mm. and that makes sense, right? Because <laughs> If, if, if there is a caravan there and there's a load of dudes inside it lobbing stuff at you and yelling, however it is that you're imagining that in the world you are holding an objective in inverted commas, um, it's going to be less easy to do that task when there's like pots and pans and stuff being thrown at you and bows, <laughs> bows being, you know, fired at you. Um, yeah, I, I, I really liked it. Um, and it, it kind of gets around... This, the kind of inherent squishiness as well, like you have to go through something first. So instead of, I suppose, another yeah. way of, of looking at it, you might run a list where you have chaff and you run smaller units of halflings and they're like a speed bump. But that wouldn't, that doesn't make sense to me 
um, as a match play yeah. game in the they same way that they lose loads for, of their troop every single yeah, time, <laughs> which wouldn't make sense, would it? Uh, it's not. It's not like Gloomspite or Skaven where you've got these horrible, callous leaders yeah. who are like, yeah, just you know, just fucking die, and then I'll 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 fire something big at them while you're not looking. Um, it makes way more sense for them to like as Darren said, band together, get within the thing, like, we're going to push onto the objective, we're going to trundle forwards, <laughs> oh shit, they've seen us. Um, that, and then and rebuild that, the caravan if the giant demons destroy yeah. it all. But... Yeah, and it's easier to rebuild the caravan than your family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's very much the way of the time. So, so yeah, in the, in the, to, to move on slightly, so in that first game, Adam did eventually break through all of the caravans, smashed the little hobbits inside, and took um, took the important turn to, to take the win off yep. me. Although I felt like I was in it. If I if I had a double turn at any point, I felt like I was in it, which we'll come to in the second game. Yeah. Because I, I don't know exactly how many of the rules, Darren, you want to give away, if not any, but they are way, way better if either player takes what we would call the double turn. Yeah. Doesn't matter. So if it's you or if it's your opponent and you can choose to give it to your opponent and let them double turn you, but your guys are suddenly like they get luck on the side and they just go for it. And you kind of need one of those to happen in a game. Yeah. Well, that's, that's part of, again, that's another part of the design. Um, there's not a lot of design space in Age of Sigma. So, you know, the minus is to hit, minus is to wound, pile in, etc. Yeah. So one of them that's a little unexplored, other than endless spells, is the priority. And it marries quite well with the so halflings, hobbits, whatever. They're lucky, aren't they? They should mm. be lucky. How do you get that into a into your mm. tome? So I've created a, um, a luck mechanic which revolves around the double turn and they can really spike. And it allows all units to do something potentially heroic as well you know yeah. so i wanted to have as many because one thing i love about games is the stories that happen within them so i'm not a narrative player but i love it when something exceptional happens so again i've tried to put that into the tome every single unit is a bit rubbish but at some point it yeah. could, it could do something amazing right <laughs> yeah yeah so that's kind of what we did in the so in the second game i took an entirely different list and i think i mentioned to you darren before like when i was writing it in terms this of is how the there's another mechanic where you can basically summon tree men because mm. of the relationship between tree men and hobbits coming from the lord of the rings or coming from our own law to nod back and, to them yeah. mm. Yeah, exactly. It's a good nod back to that thing. So there's a there's a mechanic where you can basically store up counters on terrain pieces and summon tree men out of terrain pieces in a way of essentially fixing the Sylvaneth book, but doing it <laughs> in a nicer way. Which again may have actually happened by the time you hear um, this episode. There's strong hints that uh, during this week, Bank Holiday May week, uh, there may be some Sylvaneth changes coming oh, really? in with okay. uh, well, Kragnos. Either way, three. I, I said to Darren, I'm pretty sure I can write a list that maxes out every single way to summon a tree man in the world and it will be really good. And it was. And then I wrote that list <laughs> and played it against Adam and it was pretty good summoning a tree man into his face turn one, summoning a spirit of dirt through turn two and then summoning another tree man turn three. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. too strong, right? <laughs> I, I think we just wanted to change one thing about it. It didn't because my entire I spent two thousand points 
just like maxing out everything that I possibly could on summoning tree man. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's good for testing as well. Because mm. we've got no frame of reference how the, the testing's actually done, have we? And they and they won't they won't reveal it either for you I'm know, not sure they, they know. No, no, well that's un we yeah, but we don't actually know that, do we? I'm no, sure they've got process and I'm sure it, it, it must be relatively it must <laughs> be, oh, sorry, my dogs are kicking off. <laughs> but um so and we don't know. So we're kind of just making this up as we we go yeah. along, aren't we? Yeah. And I'm really pleased that you did that, Matt, that you took the extremes, because that's what people... Yeah, you want to try and take some kind of extremes and just see what you can actually do with it, see if see if it's mm. ripe for abuse or not. Um, and it, it turned out it was actually just really good fun. And, and from, an, as well. from a kind of adversarial um, viewpoint, they were very clearly the same battle tome, despite there being totally different builds and despite them doing quite different things mechanically on the table as well, mm -hmm. which I think is, well, to your credit, because if you look at a lot of the, whether it's lodges or temples or cities or whatever kind of variant builds you have within modern battle tomes, typically there's like one that is streaks ahead, like batshit incredibly good. And then some second tier stuff that people take if they want to win games but have heard of narrative and then there's a couple that are just shockingly bad and you're like how has this how has this been included in the game yeah like i i don't want to do this thanks so much for asking um whereas with this like obviously so the the result of the game went the other way i got totally smashed up but it was the scenario that was being scored predominantly by halflings that was what won the game so it was although there was a lot more kind of i'm being kicked in the face by somebody who's a tree lord um going on than when i was smashing caravans into pieces yeah in, indeed um it very much came down to how you how matt played the game and how you get your troops to the right place and like how garrisoning works and all that kind of thing so for me it felt yeah. like i was fighting against the same the same army but with different elements from it which was great because I was like, oh, Christ. Like, and I can imagine there being like a soupy version as well, which people might run if they're not looking to, you know, take off croak with um, like <laughs> endlessly summoning yeah. tree lords inside him, which he wouldn't particularly enjoy, I don't think. So um, I think part of that was really helpful because the trees are also garrisonable, which kind of ties the like the having something big and bulky to defend your little halflings from getting smashed immediately in the face or shot off is yeah. super nice and it's super helpful so i was like walking two tree lord ancients forward with 10 archers in each of them yeah shooting yeah. from the branches of the tree lord ancient while the tree lord ancient like affected all the terrain around the table yeah it was lovely which sounds terrifying, but you listeners have to remember that it's not a Sylvaneth book, so they don't have oaken armor and they're not, you know, re-rolling no. saves. So like it's like, oh, I've got to do a lot of damage, but you can kill you can kill the thing and you might summon some more, but that's okay. Um so I'd I, I massively enjoyed both games. Matt smashed me up on the second one and I smashed him up on the first one. Um, we'll we'll say that that was due to just in inherent balance rather than Matt figuring the book out. We didn't <laughs> we didn't play a third yet. One was a little bit more of a fluffy list, I didn't we? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think of so. course. I, I, we're gonna I'm gonna tone it down slightly. That 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 because they're different trails as well. So that's the yeah. the one 
the, the tree one's the nomiad trail the nomiad trail rather yeah and i think that that mechanic works but it needed toning down slightly didn't it yeah very, very slightly from the yard we'll see how bonkers everything is in aos 3 it might be cranking up to 11. Um, we're going to kick off here as alex comes in Okay, well, we're coming to the end of um, the segment as it happens. So um, we will join you after a quick break um, to talk a bit more about the Nomad Feastmasters in um, what might be a very exciting section. It's narrative. Welcome back uh, to the narrative section. We're continuing our epic tale of uh, halfling adventure. Um, we're going to be talking about the Nomad Feastmasters in the Mortal Realms and how that came to happen. Um, so, Darren, um, we all like the Lord of the Rings. Um, mm. I've mentioned already, you know, halflings in D&D and playing stories. Um, in terms of races that existed in 8th edition or exist tan tangentially in other uh, kind of fantasy um, intellectual properties. Um, what was it, why was it, how was it um, that halflings, gnomes, nomads of all things, um, came to be um, the tome you wanted to write? Well, well, yeah, it, it's gotta be Lord of the Rings, right? You can't talk about nomads and halflings without Lord of the Rings, they're my, favorite films Samwise Gamgee is um, my favorite character or person in anything ever absolutely he made me, yeah absolutely he made me cry three times in the cinema <laughs> well probably more than <laughs> yeah Sean Sean Astin is an incredible oh, actor it has to be said super good and like yeah. mega young in that as well like he's yeah. in he shows up in Brooklyn Nine-Nine and obviously in uh, season two of Stranger Things. Stranger Things, which I also cried at. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's horrific, but it's also, no, not so sad. So coming, coming uh, later in 2021 is uh, Battle Tome Sean Astin. Yeah. <laughs> that scene though, you know, I can't, I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you. <laughs> That's a, that's a very oh good impression. Face. You've seen that a couple of Thank times. Thank you. I practiced it in the yeah, yeah. <laughs> So um, they're I've... they're in the back of my they're in the back of my head. Mm. I um I so one of my favorite armies I've ever seen created was back in Warhammer Fantasy Battle. I had a friend Steve and he did an entire halfling army and it had it had swan riders, it had a little halfling that like charged angry geese at people you know it had these <laughs> it had these treemen that weren't that were converted to be a bit more bit more bit more squat you know but, but a bit more wide you know it was just glorious um, and he's still got that army but he can't he can't use it you know that's that's a real shame or he's got to pretend it's a yeah he's a sigma army right but he's not interested in that so he doesn't use it anymore so that's a real shame isn't it um I think so it's so. just a combination of i want people that have got and you see Mark Beesman on, on Twitter. Oh. He's got an entire Alexa, view. shut the fuck up. Alexa, stop. <laughs> really? <got> my dogs. <laughs> you probably turned on my Alexa now. I there must be, I've got headphones on. There must have been some kind of like shouting argument in a flat next door that she's listening to. 
because why would <laughs> it one be... of them called alexa in a flat knee <laughs> maybe and that's going to continue <laughs> to be, be really annoying a real issue for me i'm now i'm now considering whether i go back and edit out that outburst <laughs> probably not if anyone's um, heard any of my other content they know it's just riddled with mistakes and Terrible audio, anyway. So, sorry, Darren. No, that's fine. I was just saying, you know, Mark on the Mark the Beastman on Twitter. He's just created a gorgeous half thing on me. I don't know if you've seen it. I actually haven't. I'm going to look it up now. Oh no, please, yeah, please do. Follow Mark. It's strange that that wouldn't have jumped up. But again, it's it's a shame that he can't use that in in its own right. Yeah. Just wanted to to help out a friend you know, and pay homage to to my favourite. They're one of my favourite races. They're a super interesting race as well, because I, I think I'm quite naturally... Um, I think if I was uh, a race in Age of Sigma, well, not Age of Sigma, in, in fantasy, I'd be a halfling. So well, I'd, like, I'd, I'd aspire to be a Samwise Gamgee. I think that's a pretty strong aspiration. <laughs> I like that a yeah, lot. But yeah. um, and it, it's not it's not just people like Mark either. I've so I've seen a few um halfling armies cropping up, particularly since the um the Blood Bowl team came out. Mm. Um and a lot of the time though you did have one. Which was oh mostly God. Arc World models, yes. Darren. Do you know the do you know the Arc World set? I do not know. So Arc so World there's a set is... of really like cartoonish i don't know adam can probably explain this a little bit better than me but they're kind of i would i would describe them as very Discworld, yeah uh, ah, art cool. style um they're, they're very like they, they don't look realistic they look like cartoony 3d art pieces yeah they're um, certainly exaggerated really and they're you they're, they're a 3d rendering of a, of a two-dimensional piece of art that isn't like photorealistic right um the art, art world's great you should you should check those out um uh, they're quite a small company i think he's from nottingham as well so i mean for yeah nottingham so they do a, continues they do a to be the center of the world the right? stuff yeah uh, they're really cool i'd forgotten you had that yeah that was that was your city's army right yeah um, so they have Hallow, like ram riders and uh yeah. a hot pot a Think a big ox thing with a catapult on the top, um, like tons and tons of really great models. So yeah, I would I, if I was going to be collecting, which I, I may well grab myself some more and paint some more up. I, I'd be using these guys because they're super good. Yeah, sweet. Um, I know there's a couple of guys in the UK who converted whole armies using um, the Blood Bowl team um, as kind of. Uh, Cities of Sigma proxies, and um, I know I know at least one in the states and one in Russia. So you know there are halfling armies out They're there. They're halfling fans, aren't they? Yeah, yeah definitely. And like, I mean, I I own halflings. Um, my my Gits Warcry Warband is halflings using the. So I've got a uh, I've got a halfling with a lance on top of a Griffhound um, that's a squig hopper. Um, and um, you know, halfling with a, a picnic rug, which is a netter, um, and all that kind of thing. So um, fun, aren't they? That's the thing. They, they really fun. are. And I, you know, I've I've always um, with my city of Sigma, particularly because it's living city, which has got obviously the wanderers and nomad princes and stuff, and so it's got that more kind of Giran, um atmosphere to it. 
and there are people from all sorts of different parts of the realms who just end up there um so my my living city um what are they even called now the the free guild guard yeah yeah free guild guard in my head they're men at arms because I was, i'm using the bretonians for kind of like the main models within there but i've got like mordheim models in there but i've got in each unit there's two or three halflings out of the 30 men at arms that i've got because we refuse to give up on them don't we yeah um, <laughs> and i think particularly with the lack of kind of human or humanoid mortal releases for order and i'm not starting to cry about how many releases there are for order orders had plenty of love in the last six years of age of sigma but in terms of what we might be interested in 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 a story sense so i'm really enjoying curse city at the moment we're getting like granularity detail into what's going on in these cities you know we have zombie ogres that's really interesting to me that suggests that there are ogres living in a city right we then have an ogre who is an order ogre as well so that's um that's really interesting to me we've got a a band of heroes (laughs) sorry it helped well it helps me out we'll we'll get on to that yeah um (laughs) which is yeah yeah indeed which is really interesting and then you know you've got all this background and lore in the cities of sigmar book and in you know uh the various novels that there are for age of sigmar that describe these really diverse places but the model range you're in the kind of hundred years war in germany yeah and yeah. everyone everyone is five foot ten gone, and male <laughs> <laughs> and you go oh okay that's interesting uh, that's <laughs> that's not representative at all of the setting um and i i wonder if um, I wonder if that's going to change. Uh, we've obviously seen some Order of Azir models recently and, and so on, but halflings would be there if they exist. And if they're not there, then where did they go? Because all the other races are represented. And so what's interesting to me is that that kind of answers that this book, the Nomad Feastmasters, um, kind of answers that question to an extent. Now, I can imagine that you still have a few halflings kicking around in the cities, right? But, well, that, and there's a couple. There's a couple on Glutos's um, big tome, isn't there? Feeding him, that they look like halflings. Yeah, so they do. Peacock ridge. So they're there. Yeah. They're definitely there, aren't they? Yeah, and I like that drip feeding that's going on. But you wanted to go beyond that, so we're we're actually digging into. So, if you're going to take those Samwise Gamgee tropes, those ideas of what a halfling is and how it exists within a fantasy society, and you know, we're talking about luck, and you've got. Um, the the little guy you know literally in this case um yeah. but like this is this is your hero the unexpected hero is what i mean by that yeah, um, yeah. right that's really um compelling in terms of storytelling um so i i don't think it's surprising at all that you know the hobbits and and so on are so popular and remember that the hobbit itself the first book he wrote within that universe was written for his kids so it's 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 the everyman in a sense of you're hungry, you don't really realise you're going on an adventure, but there's an adventure anyway, and a lot of stuff's above your pay grade. Um, which actually, in my description of the Hobbit, sounds a lot more like it was written by Terry Pratchett. So those artboard models would be quite a fitting <laughs> version of um, Bilbo Baggins there. Um, but I, I, I like how. It, the, in terms of what units are available, I guess that story is um, 
is expanded. Was there anything that you were like, I must include this from your previous um, kind of storytelling or story experiencing with halflings and that? You can't write a halfling tome without um, halfling thieves, can you? And that's, and you can probably, a lot of lovers got into that scroll because it's my absolute favorite one without revealing too much about it. Um, but what I find that is one of my favorites as well. It's really, really good. Oh, good. <laughs> it's it, again. It just pulls up mechanics that you don't really see very often. Like that's kind of I would I would say that's one of the main themes around the Nomad Feastmasters book. It's it's really interesting to see mechanics that you just don't see in any other books ever. Like we see, oh, you can generate some random points from when this happens, and then you can spend them to do this thing, or lots of plus ones, or lots of minus ones, or lots of you know these extra things yeah this isn't just that like it's not a rehash with a slightly different wording of an existing tome it's here's a whole new thing that you've never seen before i'm super conscious of it yeah like i say the design space in age of sigmar is it feels like it's it's you know almost at its um max right so i've tried to yeah. go outside the fringes which is what you see in everything that i do i think <laughs> but we so need to I stick we need to stick with the law don't we <laughs> yeah I, I think the other like trope that you definitely see in conversions is uh halflings riding farmyard animals yeah <laughs> that's like a weird thing that comes up quite a lot i'm trying to so as because the law's very very work in progress but if i give you sort of the so i'm trying to mature them somewhat because yeah. You know, just having, uh, you know, a, a group of people throwing pies at their enemy, that does not fit into the Age of Sigmar realm, does it? The Age of Sigmar realm itself is very, it's a lot darker than Warhammer fantasy battle, isn't it? It's a lot more, it feels a lot more mature, that the models are a lot more mature. Even the, even goblins and, you know, they still yeah. look more sinister, than before they don't have round faces anymore you know they've still got rosy cheeks but then they've got you know purple veins that are going up to their art you know do you know what i yeah. mean so it's a lot darker so i don't yeah. think and i don't you think just look at like the new mangler squig compared to the old mangler squig the old one yeah, is like a balloon. the new one is savage yeah you're yeah. totally yeah. right like and they're so not even think... that many years between them right no no it's less than a decade isn't it yeah, but I don't think um, I don't think Tolkien's hobbits or the moot halflings would survive yeah. in the realms. So we've got we've got to we've got to mature them. So for mature listeners who aren't kind of deep into the Warhammer Fantasy Battle lore, the moot was an area of the old world that was inhabited by uh, halflings. That was basically a Warhammer Fantasy equivalent to the Shire from um, Tolkien, and basically as with the Shire. Um, seemingly only existed because the empire and bretonia stopped them being horribly invaded and smashed up yeah so they're they're protected um you know it's a country within a country kind of thing um so i think that's really the realm is it yeah it's not not. the realm Um, so like i say it's very much work in progress at the moment i'm trying to get some because narrative is not my remit i'm not I'm not a writer, I'm not an educated man, um, I'm not particularly articulate. So it's not, if I try to do it myself, it would be very, very basic. Um, but but I've got a load of, of, I've got a load of ideas. I've got, I'm an mm. ideas man. 
I'm not a details man, I'm an ideas man. So I've got loads of these ideas on how we can weave the nomads into the realms. Um, but I'm, I need help fleshing it out. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, but those, those big ideas are amazing jumping off points, right? And we, we might talk a bit more about this in open in, in just a minute about, you know, how do you approach writing a battle tome? Because obviously that's going to be a really interesting conversation. But, um, you know, we just said they were, they were in the previous setting protected, but the world blew up. Yeah. You're not protected anymore. So what are they going to do? Well, they're going to become nomadic, aren't they? That's, uh, that's, it's, a, it's, yeah. it's, really, it's a really smart solution to what do we do with these people. You haven't got to, you haven't got to imagine, well, what's my home settlement going to look like? And uh, halflings cut smaller stones to make smaller houses or do more yeah. of them carry the same size bricks? Like there's none of that kind of like world building that you have to do because you go, well, no, they, there isn't anywhere safe for them to live. Um, so they have to keep moving. Yeah. So then what does it look like when they keep moving? And I think um, that's just really logical, um, but also really, really compelling because um, you're like, yeah, okay, right. So now there's immediately an element of danger because they have to keep moving. Like it's written into the army in terms of how it plays. So that's great. And that's one of the things that gives it its flavor. But that's the story. There's like... Um, mm -hmm. I talk a lot so in theatre about um, big, not um, being able to divorce theory and practice. So you have an idea and then the execution of it. Um, and actually those two things should always be in conversation with each other. Well, that's what's happening here. Sorry, Matt. No, it's fine. Sorry. It's, uh, it's also one of the big, like, um, big departures from what we would call our like standard our standard halflings that we know from lord of the rings from DD, from all of these kind of tropes that everyone's very used to in basically none of those are they actually a nomadic peoples and uh, so we've kind of darren you've kind of said like these guys they have to do this because that's the way that the realms have formed them into being this kind of set of people that has that have to travel around, they can't settle down, they can't find homes because, you know, if they settled into Giran or into Adam knows all the names of the free cities, etc. Um, Not it just wouldn't, yeah. <laughs> Not some broken realms, I don't. Yeah, but it it wouldn't it wouldn't work for them, right? Like they don't want to just be defended by other people and be bored and stuck stuck at home like it doesn't it doesn't work for them but at the same time it's it's a different narrative to the standard stuff that we'd see in any in anything else so it's nice to see a bit of a departure from you know the normal tropes of halflings it's what worries me the most is that people that are so i'm trying to make a tome for halfling fans right but what if they don't like the direction i take them and like i say i'm not a i'm not a writer so <laughs> but you I seem to like it so that you know you are yeah. narrative chat so that's, I'm just going to click on a tab here um, and this tab has a PDF for an entire battle tome I think you can probably say at this point that you are a writer <laughs> yeah. that's, that's more writing than I've done um, it's, it's a lot of pages isn't it Christ. no it's great it's, it's really exciting um, do you so, want like a basic timeline of what 
how are the actual law because this is the law section yeah let, yeah let's 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 button this conversation uh with that so so what is kind of like your the the law in like you know a minute okay. <laughs> challenge so um i'll give you I'll, I'll give you what i'm working on and then what i'm hoping to flesh out so yeah imagine it so it's very if you look at any tome they've got you know the end times the law of the, the age of myth the age is something I can't remember. And then you've got current, haven't you? Um, chaos? And age again, of chaos? Not, age of chaos. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And all of that, I've got no, I, I, I don't read. <laughs> I don't know any of that. But it's so important, isn't it? Um, yeah. And we'll get on to why law is so important in the next section. So, but as I imagine it, we've got the, the, the end times, there's a traveling band of of halflings that perhaps go between the moot and some of the some of the um you know the, the reichland for example and you've got archeon's invasion and they flee archeon's invasion they come across a, a sylvaneth or a, a wanderer i'm not quite sure sort of um uh war war grove or war band and their concern their main concern is the little things of the forest so twigs mountain dew insects all the things that keep the forest going all the boring stuff that the other war groves aren't that particularly interested in but essential essential to keep everything going right yeah and they they there's um there's some cool law isn't there in war cry is it or beast grave where the sylvaneth are watching some humans fight chaos and they, what do they call them? Quick bloods or something? And then they decide to join in with them because it's a common enemy. So the same sort of thing happens. The halflings are fighting these, these chaos war bands that are chasing them. The Sylvaneth or the Wanderers decide to help them. And for whatever reason, they, they I've got to flesh this out, but they, they, they bond. And then however the Sylvaneth or the Wanderers get to the realms is how they <laughs> <laughs> great um you know like i say i don't know so i'm gonna to have to go do some research into that i'm hopefully greater minds do that and they can help me I, I don't think it needs a huge amount of fleshing out in terms of like how it, in terms of if you were to describe how any of the current warhammer races got from the old world to here it's it's the most hand wavy description in basically every yeah in, in basically every okay case. considering well, like, oh and they dug tunnels <laughs> through the realm ways yeah i mean skaven's the big example right of like they showed <laughs> yeah, up the they ate through the world okay well that like, helps me out a great deal yeah. and like so I... if you you know gotrek <laughs> you you know well that gotrek's still kicking around and there's books about why he's alive but you know thankwall is still alive thankwall's not a god and the life expectancy yeah. of a skaven if they don't get killed by their own family is about three years Sanquil <laughs> um, was like old for Skaven about 30 years before the world ended. And he's had to fight Gotrek several times. That yeah, be. and like there's literally no decent explanation as to why he's there apart from the fact that they made a cool character for, character model for him and Bone Ripper in End Times and didn't want to cam the kit. Yeah. Any that, laws kind of from the old world is is because I read every Gothic book. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there you go. But, <laughs> you know, at, at least it's high quality versions of the Warhammer law, right? There are some good Warhammer books and there are some less good Warhammer books, I would say. Um, Got Gotrek is is generally pretty solidly on the money. Uh, Amazing. I can't wait for the Netflix season series, Gotrek. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. That would be very cool, wouldn't it? Um, so great. Fair. We're going to... 
Go on, yeah. Well, they're in the, oh, no, that, that's that. Yeah, so they're sorry, in the, sorry, please, yeah. Move us on. But then you've got the time of myth, haven't you? And how is it, how do you, I pronounce it Gyron. How, how are you pronouncing it? I was saying Giram, but Giram. I don't know Giram. that that's right. All right. Who knows? We'll go, we'll they, they literally did a pronunciation guide as a Warhammer community article, except the great thing about that is that they didn't use the phonemic chart, so it's a completely pointless pronunciation guide, because they're like, you pronounce it like this, and I'm like, people pronounce that word differently depending on where they're from. That's a really stupid article. But there we go. <laughs> but like, there, there is a different alphabet you can use to describe in an objective way how to pronounce something, and they just happen to use that. And it's because, you know, People aren't au fait with it, but I'm like, your article is pointless and has just created further division. But it has I'll created do. conversations. But I'll go with Byron because that's what I'm comfortable with. So they they end up there, and so during the time of myth, so Gyron is like the, the the realm of life, isn't it? Yeah. So there must be huge herds of herbivores. You know, bison-like creatures, caribou, reindeer. Yeah. And. Um, so the so I'm imagining it that there's like millions bison millions of these types of creatures that are roaming all around the realms in every sort of different um, environment. Um, there's loads of biodiversity, and these are crucial. Gyron's the centre of that, so it's crucial for the health of all the realms. So it's a super important, you know, the the ecosystems of of, of Age of Sigma, and that, again, that's something that's not really well. I don't think too well explored. You know how the realms actually function. Yeah. Um, I'd like to sort of tap into that a little bit. Now, these obviously come into, these become threatened during the time of chaos and the, or the time, of time of strife, whatever it's called, you know, because these warring factions, they all need to be fed, don't they? So they're going to be, they're going to be attacking these, these, these herbivores, etc. So I've got it in my mind that Gyron is kind of shielding the, the nomads themselves. There's not many of them. They're, they're all, they're all, held up in the root hole is where I'm going to be placing it. But during one of these, um, all these invasions, somehow they strike up a pact with um, Alerial or Gyron. So first of all, they, Gyron creates magical trails for these herbivores to, to follow, to protect them from the, the, the warring factions. And the nomads strike up a pact with them because they've got no, their, their root home gets annihilated by Nurgle or whoever, and they strike up a pact where they'll protect these magical trails. Their whole job is to go up and down protecting the herbivores. And they, that means that they can stay within these magical trails and they can hide away from every other faction. And that's why they're not present in other, other factions history. Because we've got to explain why no one's talking about nomads or no one's seen them, mm. right? Yeah. <laughs> so then fast forward, you come to the Necroquake that disrupts the magical trails, the magics within these trails, which is now, which is why they're only now coming into contact with other factions. And slowly, the more they come into contact with other factions, the more warlike they've got to become. Well, not warlike, that's not the right word. The more they've got to be able to defend themselves, which yeah. is why different units start to be, you don't just get nomads that are going up and down with caravans, you now get war caravans to defend them, you now get you know um the, the eagle riders to help them out you get the the the, the crag ibex um the the, um, the gastronomic guard or the <laughs> the gastronomic guard as we're, we're calling so them. good I'm, <laughs> I'm mega excited for people to see this <laughs> <laughs> so that's how i so that's it in a nutshell that wasn't quite a minute 
but um oh that's fine Don't does worry. that all make does that all make sense i mean like i say i'm not a great storyteller but i disagree um as someone who pro professionally can be objective about that okay well that's that's fine but that and we've got to we've got to weave the, that that allows us to weave them into the realms doesn't it i think hopefully yeah hopefully and that's the kind of stuff that is is really interesting like we you like it's a i think it's a really smart way to um is just to ask the questions that haven't been answered already and you will find something and then you know it, it, brilliant you know fine it's not fleshed out but they they meet some they meet some forest dwelling people who get them out of the old world great mm -hmm. that's better explained than most of the factions right yep. <laughs> they they show up again in the forest verdant life realm great that makes sense that's where they left off like if the world's going to implode into uh realms then yeah fine great that's where they're going to be um you know you've ex you know explained why they're um, nomadic within this setting um and that they were able to survive because they were from the moot perhaps but they were themselves nomadic before the end times they were going between places like it it all ties together really well like i'm, I'm not i'm not seeing any like empty space within that right um and then you're like cool so what's the justification for being in the realms well okay here's something no one's thought about what what's the biodiversity like in gyran no idea great let's talk about that fantastic i'm now really excited by that right and that's that's a that's a I'm, i often use that realm that's where the living city is so like i'm you know i'm always picking artifacts from there looking at the spell law even as that changes from malign sorcery and to um cities of sigmar into uh, the current um ghb and 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 beyond there's there's always more elements and you can you can drill deeper down into that stuff um that's been fascinating i can't wait until like people have this in whatever format they have it so that we can we can chat like in detail about like this war yeah. scroll is really good for doing this and the story behind like individual things that's really cool particularly your named characters i'm really excited to hear about what their kind of legends become like why are they a named character rather than um halfling general two do you know what i mean um yeah. so that's going to be great um, we're going to uh, come back in just a second, guys, and we're going to be talking about um, how you go about doing any of this at all. Um, Darren's going to talk to us um, about how you write a battle tome. <laughs> how I wrote. <laughs> how he wrote a battle tome uh, in in the open section um, in just a moment. Welcome back to the open section. Um, Darren is going to be subjected to some intense questioning uh, from Matt and I about why and how and wherefore and, and various questions like that. Why? <laughs> <laughs> We're all uh, asking. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, you know, that that is, that is the big question, right? Why? Uh, I mean, I'm very glad that you did, but why? why? So way back when, JP of Lispot fame asked yeah. um, if I wanted to write a couple of scrolls that he could then put through Lispot. You know, you know. Oh, I probably need to explain what Lispot is. Um, Lispot is something that JP's created that's an algorithm that reads every war scroll in Age of Sigmar and then it attributes it some points, you know, based on how powerful other 
but not how, how, how other war scrolls seem, if that mm. makes sense. So you can take a new war scroll, you can put it in and you can compare it to other war scrolls in a very rudimentary uh, uh, fashion. And he wanted to see what happened when fan-made ones were created. And then there was gonna, we were gonna do some content around that. So I went away and I thought of what scrolls I wanted to do. The first, very first one I did was a halfling hot pot. <laughs> Great. Um, and then obviously when you do a halfling hot pot, you think to yourself, well, you probably need a head chef. So there was a head chef. And then I'd seen on Twitter it, uh, at the same time, uh, uh, Stu, is it Stu Cunningham? Had done a wonderful yeah. war cockerel, a halfling general on war cockerel. And it was such an amazing conversion. I thought, I need that. That is definitely going in there. I'm going to create a war scroll for that. I want that to be used. I don't want it to be a Cities of Sigma proxy. It is a beautiful enough model in its own right. That needs to be seen on the tabletop. So that was my hope that I might be able to facilitate that. So I did these three scrolls. And then, you, then you, that's when you start to realize just how important narrative is. Because I, I went on to War Scroll Maker. You know, you can make up your own War Scroll, can't you? On yeah. There's a little thing you can do. And I was putting all the rules in. And then I had to, and then I realized I, I was just reading them and I couldn't connect to them. You know, I, I'd done all these rules and I, I didn't care about them. I didn't care it's about them mechanics. at all. There was no, yeah. there was no emotional attachment, right? So you have that, and I'm not, so this was a massive realization for me. I am not a narrative chap. When I go to, when I go, I'm probably known as a gamey bastard, to be fair. Yes, I? I think you yeah. are. But, but I am, that's my remit. That's what I, I go to. I, I it's a badge of honor that you're a gamey uh, bastard. Yes, and I mean, it's something that I, that I wish I'll, it's something I accept about myself, right? I'd like to be a better person. Um, and hopefully as I age, I will become a better person. Um, but when I go to a tournament, I, I I care about your enjoyment, but I care about winning more. Yeah. You know, I don't care about the story. When I'm creating my armies, I'm not too fussed in any way, shape, or form if they make sense. You know, I'll use Kairos and I'll <laughs> I'll put a corn demon in with Loka and they'll run around together. You know, what yeah. I mean? like it's not mine. But in actual fact. The, knowing the, a little bit about the story behind them is so important when you're reading these scrolls. I, did not, I didn't have any emotional attachment and I realised that very early on. So then I was starting to, then I started to delve into, you know, I, I, it was making sure that the names for the abilities were correct. You know, something yeah. as simple as that. It, it, that's absolutely yeah, it's, it's not just sword plus one. It's what, what weapon does this character have? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, my, the, my, my fate. One of the one of the rules is called waste not, want not. You know, on the on the on the nomad hot pot. You know, yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> one of them, one of them for the named hit that named. Well, it was in the battalion, but I'm going to put it into the named characters. That's one spicy meatball. <laughs> 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 but and all of a sudden, these war scrolls came to life. Yeah, you know what I mean? mm. and I I cared about them, and then I got. Then I went back to JP and I was like, yeah, I'm not just going to do one or two or three war scrolls. I think I'm going to do a whole battle tome. Um, and then it took me so long to get back to him with anything that was tangible that that bit of contacts, that bit of content sort of faded into the, into the ether. But I was down this fucking rabbit hole. 
because <laughs> once you've done once you've done a, so I, I I've done twelve I've done twelve war scrolls in total but then you realise you need sub factions then you need endless spells then you need a law then you need allegiance abilities you know yeah oh my God. terrain features <laughs> then you need no that's right yeah then you need uh, uh, then you need a faction faction terrain. Uh, piece of faction scenery right yeah. um and it, what i found fascinating was just how much once you start delving into the law how much that actually affects your rules writing and then when you think of a cool rule you really want to make sure that it's in the law so then the the writing affects the law as well and there's this i, I loved that i hadn't i hadn't even considered that that would you know that the story would actually influence the rules, you know, yep. and the rules are so much better, so much better when they reflect what's going on in your head when you're. Um, when you're I think that's pretty evident when you, you know, we go going right back to the match play section at the top of the episode when Matt was looking at which trail, um, so which sub faction he was going to select. Like, as I, you know, my experience playing against it was, it was recognizably the same army, but the law, the story drove two divergent directions which results in two lists that play differently um mm. like that that was very clearly manifest when we you know we spent a few hours play testing so far and i'm sure we'll do more but it was you know it also yeah. made it needs to make sense to your opponent right so this is this is where mm. i think that some of the recent rules writing has gone a bit astray like so if you compare um books that i think are fantastic like gloomspike gits cities of mm. sigmar Ogre Moor Tribes and Oric War Clans. All of those, I know what the story is. With I don't need to read Age of Strife, Age of Myth, Age of Chaos. I know what those armies are looking at the models and reading the War Scrolls. I'm like, oh, okay, it's going to do that. And it might do it in a way that surprises me. And there might be a battalion or a formation that makes it gamey, in inverted commas. But I know what those armies are and they fulfill that. So as an opponent, if I haven't read, and this is something that um, Andy talks about and um, Tim from Rule Zero talks about a lot, if you don't own all of the books in Age of Sigmar, then you can't necessarily, you can't win, right? It's not a level playing field um, where all the rules are free. If you don't own each battle tome, you actually don't know what's going on. So at a point where you have a battle tome where an army doesn't even do what it looks like it's going to do. So the big examples for me oh, are I Seraphon and mm. um, Seraphon um, to a much lesser extent, extent Disciples of Zeech because I know the law for Zeech, so I expect what they're going to do. But actually, it's um, not clear from the models what they're going to do. Like I if, I, if I was corn. a new player. Yeah. Corn is like you expect it to come forwards and smash you into a million pieces, but then they spend hours and hours in like this thing buffs this thing, which yeah. then does this thing, and like they have the longest hero phase of anything that just wants to run forwards and smash you. Yeah. It's horrendous. And 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 the, the real towering example of that sin for me is the um is the Lumineth. I've played elves for years and years and years. I think the Lumineth models are objectively beautiful. I don't particularly want to paint them myself. I, the style isn't, isn't for me. But the book, and I've played against it a lot on TCS, doesn't play like a high elf army. Um, it doesn't play like a dark elf army. It doesn't play like a wood elf army. It plays like a chaos army. 
you've got really big, big, fighty, scary, magic-using, impervious monsters. Mm. All of the units are suddenly wizards and can do all sorts of crazy shit. It doesn't, it like, so it doesn't, yeah. like, if I it's look at the chaotic. army on the table, yeah, and it is chaotic because it, it, it functions in every phase, right? So like, I'm looking at that army and I'm looking at Seraphon and I'm like, I can't tell or predict what's going to happen without knowing your rules inside out, which oh, I think is bad yeah. design. Yeah. Well, yeah, and coming coming back to like your your side of things, Darren is like like designing designing maybe law first or rules first or whichever one ends up. You know, maybe it's a cycle of of both feeding into each other. If in fact, and I think that's part of the creative process, especially when you come to this, is like so if that you have. As you said you've got so much stuff to create and if you just take an example of like let's make a piece of faction terrain you're never going to be able to write reasonable rules for that without actually knowing the law of why there's a piece of faction terrain there or else yeah. it's just not going to work yeah, yeah. like People you're not going, going to write the wrong rules guaranteed if you're just thinking about the mechanics of the rules itself without like paying any attention to the law it's going to feel wrong yeah yeah, and I hadn't expected that, so that was yeah, that was yeah, that was that was a revelation. That was a, a revelation. It's it's super important. And there are I'll, some really I'll more credit in the future. There are some really good examples of when that doesn't work with faction terrain and when it does work as well. Yeah, I, like, I think faction terrain is one of the big ones. Like if you nail that, then your army, the flavor of the army, makes sense. Well, I'll, I'll touch on the the faction terrain because it's quite the the faction terrain in in the books is quite a strong piece, I think. But that feeds in that's intentional. So when I decided, right, I'm going to write an entire tome, I then started off with some very basic premises. First one, no rerolls in a tome. I don't. It will, it's a potential horde army. We want people to finish their games. Rolling loads and loads of dice is not going to facilitate that. So no rerolls. No teleports. They're fucking everywhere. <laughs> like yeah. Age of Sigmar, mate, it would get to the point where you just take out the movement phase and just put everything where you want. <laughs> so I don't wanna I don't I don't like that about the game, so I don't wanna add that add add into that. Yeah. Um a second one, they shouldn't be there's no mega mega damage from any unit, no mass damage from any unit, because they're nomads. They're not gonna be a dominant force in the mortal realms. When people think that they're gonna be fighting nomads, they should be underestimating them, right? And, you know, they shouldn't again, lots and lots and lots of synergy. I love synergy myself. I love combos. It's what I get when I get a new tome. The first thing I do is find out exactly what's all the other shit that I could put with this tome and how does it interact. So yeah. that I wanted them, and but also that feeds into the law. They've got to come together to defeat bigger foes. Right, that just makes sense to me. Um, so I liked how they that that reflected each other, and then I wanted the battlefield, as I mentioned before, to feel like their greatest ally because that feeds into the the Gyron aspect and the, 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 the Treeman link, you know, and Sylvaneth. Yeah. And I want to feel like, and then the the luck mechanic as well, I want you to feel like when you roll for that priority, you're like, you're, the game's against me, you, you're, you're opponent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, and then, so the, the War Scrolls themselves are intentionally a bit meh, but the allegiance abilities are quite strong. And so that should, you know, so when you read a war scroll, you don't think much of it. 
it's when it all comes together that it that act, they can actually get shit done. Yeah. Um, and again, that's that's how you explain the humble nomad being able to stand up to, you know, a demon a, a demon invasion, etc. The, the the I want people when they're using the the nomads to feel like Gyron is helping them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, and I want the opponent to feel like, fuck. <laughs> like, they're looking they're at the war laughing. scrolls like, hang on, but you've only got this. How, <laughs> how am I dead? Another thing as well is a, a lot of the abilities, they attack the, this is a nod back to the halfling hot pot in Blood Bowl. So the halfling hot pot in Blood Bowl will take away D3 rerolls of the, or it used to anyway. Yeah. That is like, so it means that halflings have got a chance because the other team might fuck up. Yeah, because they don't have their rerolls right. Um, so, but that's a, the way I look at that. That's the them attacking the opponent's value, and a lot of the stuff yeah. in the halfling tome attacks the opponent's value. There's a couple of rules that will stop you getting your rerolls. There's a, another rule that it mitigates damage without having a lots of minuses. You know, so it, it it there's a couple of rules that will take away an opponent's command ability. Or, or command points, etc., and that's a nod back to the, the, the halfling hot pot. So I wanted all of, that's 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 where I started. That's quite a lot of premises, isn't it? <laughs> I think I think it was also really interesting what you said to me right at the start, which was that you didn't want it. It, it was in danger of feeling like the Git's war scroll or yeah. the Git's like whole book, right? And you needed yeah. to avoid certain things like minuses to hit, but also like hordes giving plus one to wound for each like set of 10 or like, it would be really easy to fall into a whole load of tropes that exist in the Git book. Yeah, I wanted them and to you feel- you just distinct. can't do it or else they'll feel like the same tone. Right, yeah. I mean, when I did my Warcry Warband, I wanted halflings. I thought, what's gonna be the best equivalent for that? And you go for the other stunty guys, right? So mm -hmm. I used the, the Git's Warcry scrolls for that. Um, so it's good to avoid. Yeah. So then once I'd, once I'd started creating the scrolls and I had the allegiance abilities, I then realised just how much work I had to do. So, and also, wording is super important. So this is where the community start, the community help started. I approached Nico, shout out to Nico, what an absolute legend. One of the, for me, one of the finest minds rules-wise, you know, what, of what's what. And he's very able to articulate in a way that other people can understand things as well. And I wanted it to be consistent. And if you haven't guessed by now, I am a scatterbrain. <laughs> I am not, I am not a details man. So I, I, I said, Nico, um, I'm writing, I'm writing a battle tone. Will you help me, you know, will you edit it so that it all makes sense, that it's, that it's, G it's in line with GW wording, etc." And he straight away said yes, but I don't think he realised quite how much I was going to do. Because <laughs> his response time to me grew bigger and bigger. <laughs> but he always, he always did everything I asked. He's an absolute, he's really, really kind. And I think what we've ended up with is something that's hopefully super consistent. Well, hopefully we'll avoid FAQs, right? <laughs> well, not, not <laughs> avoid them. We don't want to avoid FAQs. We actually want to encourage an FAQ, but some of the hopefully we'll avoid some of the silliness by getting it. Yeah, you want, you want clear and consistent wording so that any questions wow. are about interaction or use within game rather than going, <laughs> is this a sentence games workshop? Yeah. <laughs> 
And then once I started sharing it with people for feedback, like just amazing what different, what I found absolutely fascinating was that every single person came back with, so the first thing people say is, this is wrong, or this doesn't make sense. <laughs> so people always start off with a negative, that's universal. And then they quickly say, but I really like this. <laughs> I wonder if that's um, taught in schools in the UK. If you're going to give criticism, remember to say something nice. Remember <laughs> to say something nice. <laughs> um, people are super. People are super keen to give you rules and their ideas. And one thing I learned straight away is I'm going to have to knock this on the head because you don't. A lot of the rules that people are coming back with, they didn't make sense with how I was imagining nomads. You know, someone came back with, oh, what if we made an endless spell that was a giant pork pie? You know, just... <laughs> too, too many cooks spoil the hot pot, right? Well, that's it. So we're not... I had to... I'm not... When I was asking for feedback, I had to make it clear that I'm not after any rules because the rules are written. I'm after feedback on the rules. And then 90% mm. of people dropped off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that that's it for them. No, I... But that... I. I've got to feel, I don't, I'm, I'm, that sounds really um, ungrateful. I am super, super grateful. But when you've got three or four people saying something different about a rule, that's just not helpful. It, it muddled my head. Yeah. So you had to be, I had to be a bit strong and be a bit clear with, no, well, that, this is what I want from you. Not, not rules, because the, the rules are already pretty much written. But then you've got to listen to people as well. You're, you're approaching people that are clever just because you understand something. So then I had to sort of backtrack on that and then actually start listening to people. There's no point asking a question. No, because I wasn't initially, yeah. I took it, I, I was being affronted by it. I was like, no, that, this is obvious. No, this should work. You know, that's, that's not how I imagine something, it. You'll understand it. Like, you will that's always why... understand what you've only written. So I had that's... to take a step back and then actually think to myself, no, these people that I'm asking for help, they're clever. They're giving me their time. The least I could do is try and see things from their point of view. Yeah. So then I found actually my rules became much better when I started in, when I actually started um, making an effort to listen to people. If that. Yeah, because the the efficiency of communication of something is key, right? Um, mm. I, I was just thinking back to maths at school, and I I've discovered playing a lot more Warhammer that actually my arithmetic is really good but I considered myself to be terrible at maths at school because we had this amazing like maths professor who was then the teacher at our school he was like a doctor from Cambridge or whatever but he couldn't teach he was like well it's this you're stupid yeah and yeah. that was that just completely turned me off giving a shit about numbers full stop age like 14 I was like well if you're not going to explain it to me then I'm not going to come to your class fuck off <laughs> um and you know you, you it's not about spoon pe feeding people but it's about going what aren't you getting because this is clear to me and and finding finding a middle ground and and communication is is really important um, yeah. um, so then when, so that yeah. that's when i saw that the rules for me became a lot better and a lot more succinct yeah um and then but when i was but the people some people were coming back to me with massive you know just being super generous with their time so tyromancer dan for example on twitter he's taken it upon himself to go away and design some of these miniatures that yeah, can yeah. be pts rendered and 3d 3d printable so the war caravan which i 
had no idea how it was going to convert. He's created. It's oh incredible as well. I've seen it's, I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so I realized then he came back with this idea and I was like, oh my God, every so now every unit is you're going to be able to 3D print or you're going to be able to convert. So people are actually going to have have these armies or be able to use them on, on TTS for, for yeah. That's incredible. There's a chap in uh, there's a chap called Theo that went away and created a um, a damage calculation device for them so that we could check you know we could compare them to other other war scrolls because the mechanics are you know barefoot mechanic i won't go into it but that's a bit different that's how you mitigate damage but it's not minus ones is it mm. so we can then so if we does something does need tweaking it's like this unit's too well matt you we saw with the war the, the war cock you said it's not good enough i could then change the stats for the attacks into it then see how it compared to other units that were the same sort of price. And I think we've come yeah. up with a much better war cockerel. Um, yeah, and I think that's, maybe I would slightly disagree with the wording. I think it was good enough. I think it just wasn't, it wasn't the viable selection compared the to army that you available. wanted it to be. That's, that's the kind of thing, right? You want it to be, you want it to be an option. Yeah. And at the, at the, the, the stage that it was at before, it was just not an option compared to the other things that exist in the tome. You can yeah. do more things with other stuff in the tome. And maybe this is this is a really complicated part, like in internal balance, because we've been talking about a lot about external balance to other tomes or making things feel di different. But that it was a really good example of internal balance where I was like, whenever I was writing lists, I was like, actually, this thing would be really cool. I quite like a fighty guy, but it just doesn't, it doesn't fit into any like there's no reason for me to pick this yeah but now hopefully we've got something that you would <laughs> yeah now we totally have something where you would and it's a really really good thing and it does the thing that it's meant to do whereas before it was like oh i can just take two units of better guys than this and fulfill the same role but have 10 moles yeah <laughs> so then people were starting to actually play games with the time so i've got a group of people that are play testing uh, for me and it's absolutely thrilling so, uh, so I'm about to play with nomads you know and people mm. seem to be excited and the feedback is largely largely positive you know and it's just an absolute thrill <laughs> it's, it's absolutely thrilling and then yeah. you think to yourself then I got the feedback from a couple of chaps that well is it rule one and um, Owen Jackson might make them match play well legal rule zero in, yeah and then the right, the pressure is now on because this home has to be right. Imagine turning out to a tournament and losing to an unofficial battle tone. That is that there is massive potential there for feel bad. So I I am very very keen that this is understandable, fun to play against, to not just use, and reasonably, you know, reasonably balanced. If anything, I want it to be a two three three two tone. I don't want it to yeah. be S tier. Because I'm super conscious that I'm a gaming bastard as well. So it'd be very easy for me to just write a load of rules that were hyper good, you know, yeah. and we'll end up with Seraphon. And then everyone would hate me and and the tone. So we don't and, want and, that. and the other players, right, as well. Yeah. yeah. Like, we want something that um when you use them, if you win with them, you feel like you've achieved something. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, yeah it's super important to get it right, isn't it? Um, right. And so then it, it's just become much bigger than I imagined. There's these I'm, things I'm, do, right? 
I've got, I'm writing a full set of law for it, or well, the, the aim is to have a full set of law, a full set of art to go with it. You know, art's expensive, but I'm, I've probably, I've been sent, people have sent me money to put towards art. I've been, I've been sent about 500 pounds so far. This wow. is how generous the Warhammer community is. It's absolutely yeah. amazing. Like, people want this to look, want this to succeed, which I think is wonderful. Um, I, there's going to be, it's going to be TTS rendered. So you'll be able, if you don't have the models, you'll be able to play it, but people are going out and creating 3D printable files to give to people. So you'll be able to actually build it. But for the tome itself, Adam's volunteer, well, Adam's going to be, you're going to be creating the Eagle Riders for me, aren't you? Yeah. You love. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm other super people. excited about that. Shout out to Joe um, from Raider Sigma, who was putting together the the, um, the the Crag Ibex cab for me, the gastronomic guard, you know. Amazing. Um, there's all sorts of people that have volunteered their time and hopefully we'll get something that is is fun for the community. But the tome is basically my, you know, the, the real reason for why, I guess the question you asked right at the beginning that I've waffled on about, is it's my love letter to, to Age of Sigma. You know, it's got all the things in it that I would like to see in the game, like the the, the battlefield being being more important. Um, and I just hope people enjoy it. <laughs> well, that's I think that's a great note to leave this section on. I, I've certainly enjoyed talking about it and massively enjoyed both uh, the games Matt and I have played so far. And um, I'm mega excited about the, the hobby opportunity as well. Um, I, think, I think that's really cool. Darren, was there anyone else um, in particular you wanted to thank? We've had some amazing names from across across the world and across the AOS <laughs> community mentioned already. Um, oh God, I'm, I'm I've put you on the spot there, which is all. No, 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 no. You did. I, I, the thing, the thing is, there's so many people. I'm going to miss someone out, and that's going to make me feel terrible. Just um, um, ben, 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 Benjamin Savat is helping me with the law. I hope for, hope for you chaps want to get involved as much or as little as... Oh, you will. Okay, good. Wonderful. <laughs> Adam gave me another thumbs up on Zoom then for, for people that are, that are listening. Um, Donal is going to be helping me out. Rob from The Honest War Gamer, is given, he's going to be doing a full battle, fit, uh, battle tome review when it's Amazing. ready. You know, how cool is that? That's going to be great. <laughs> um, you know, and anyone that's given me any feedback could constructive or not i don't feel anyone's paid me any lip service everyone's been quite you know direct when they've um had an opinion um uh, i probably shout out most to nico because he i know i've i sent him what 84 94 page worth it page worth of um material that he's edited i mean that's absolutely bonkers isn't it that's amazing um, yeah so really well done to him thank you very much mm. um yeah, just everyone. Everyone that's been involved with it has been. It's really shown me just how wonderful people are, you know. And that's <laughs> yeah. That's really got me through lockdown. Yeah, I well, mean, another... that's that's worth saying, isn't it? Like a good time to write a kind of passion project. Well, I've not been. So this is this is fascinating. I think about army lists and jank and list building constantly. I have done like since I was thirteen but there hasn't been any events to get prepped for. So it's kind of like my mind that this has filled that hole for me. Yeah. This has been me waking up at three o'clock in the morning going, oh, what if the caravan did this? And then getting <laughs> <laughs> that would normally be, that would normally be a list idea, you know, oh, yeah. that combat Kairos, you know, it doesn't, 
you know, so that that's that I think lockdown, that's one of the positive things I've got from from Coke. And I've learned a few new skills as well on the PC. I'm terrible with technology. So my word, my word skills have increased and my um, I've learned a bit. Put it on the C V wrote uh, Warhammer Battle Tone. Yeah. <laughs> well straight I've on the C V. Yeah, we need to we need to get there. We need to get there. Hopefully I'll hopefully awesome. I think we will. Yeah, I think we will. Um well, you heard it here. Nomad Feastmasters is going to be coming to a, a pitch battle near you soon, I guess. Late um, all, I think it's the, my aim. Because I've got, like I say, I've got art to do, narrative. I want to do a good job of it, so I don't want to rush it. Yeah, no, fair enough. But um, I can't wait to build the couple of units that I'm going to build and get them painted. It's mega exciting. Uh, Matt and I will probably play a few more games uh, playtesting as well. Um, Darren, it's been such a treat um, having some insight into all of that. Um, and I think it's testament to yourself, um, but also to the community, as you were saying, how fired up people are about this and how much kind of time is being given to make something happen. And um, I really, you know, as you say, in terms of getting it, having the time to do it within lockdown, like it's given people something to kind of think about and focus on. And I think that at the moment in particular is super valuable, right? Um, so awesome job. Um, one wanna... final shout out, yeah, sorry. Yeah, Owen Jackson is making it all, he's a graphics designer, the man he's himself, look like a tone as well. And that's going to take him hours. Bless yeah, him. I've he's seen, I've seen some mock ups and it looks great so far, <laughs> it's, it's but it really... makes it, doesn't it? It's just so important. The visual, so for yeah. me, that's one thing I've taken away the story and the art are super important, even for a competitive game. It's what grabbed you as a kid, right? The, stati <sighs> the statistics, yeah. you don't, you can't know about the statistics until you've got the book in your hands. Yeah, yeah. But what grabs yeah. you in the shop window, it's the models, it's the art, it's the hype around it. I think it's what Warhammer TV does well when it does things well. It's, you go, oh shit, I need to own that. What's that? Yeah. And then you figure out what's good within it, good in terms of gameplay. But yeah, vi visuals, storytelling, miniatures, that's that's the hobby right there. That's why we're not playing chess. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, or we're not playing chess in, you know, 100 players. Oh, well, let's finish the show like you've tried to two times. No, don't, don't worry at all. I'm as conscious. Matt's got, Matt's got things to do as well. Um, and I might go back to bed because I didn't sleep. <laughs> so, you know, that seems to be a, a lockdown thing too. Um, Thanks so much for coming on. Matt, great to have you on um, again as well. Um, I'm not sure what we're doing next episode, but we might be doing something a bit more sci-fi because it's been a while since we've talked about Necromunda and heard from Alex. Um, thanks as ever to Jay Channer for the music that I will be editing in uh, when we've finished. Um, if you guys are in East London, get down to Rule Zero, buy things from them, help them stay open. We're hoping to be running events uh, there when it's legal to do so. So get beer and food from them. Um, it's beautiful outside there at the moment. And Tim and Gav are amazing, uh, as is the whole team. Um, we still have a discount on Exit 23 Games. Um, if you um, if you go onto um, their website, and enter um, Angel 2021, uh, Angel with a capital A, then you can get um, a discount on all of the um, miniatures, uh, Blood Bowl alternatives in there, including a Treeman and I think a Halfling, I'm not sure, um, and um, Dark Star Paints as well. So check out Exit 23 Games. They are 
Brilliant. Um, lots of love to Matt and Darren. Great having you on. Um, we will see you next time. Thank you.